This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, we learn more about the incredible story of the Titanic from author William Hazelgrove. He's in Chicago and he joins us to share how wireless connections and radio communications saved hundreds of lives as the Titanic sank. A millennial on the radio, Ryan tells us about his new wavy baby shoes uh, and he makes that sound again that he made a while ago. These shoes make him taller. They're like a platform shoe, but the bottom sole is literally wavy. You can see underneath it. Uh, you got to hear the story and check it all out at shiftheads.ca. Plus, are you okay with being bald? Apparently, not everybody's okay with it. This is the Shift Podcast. Well, um, you can contribute to this 877-399-9898. For example... What do you think about being bald? Are you... Are you... Are you... Okay. 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 Are you okay with... Are you okay with being bald? Are you okay? Hmm. I, I feel it. Like, like, I know I usually go first, but like, Brendan, Brendan, you're the only one here oh, who has experience uh, with this. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Yeah. You okay uh, with being bald? Yeah, I'm okay with it. You have a nice head, though. I've gotten you, over exactly. it. It's gotten used to it. I mean, did, I did you bother you? Choice. I How mean, old were you when first, you went with the? Yeah. At first, I was like, no, and I got over it. Like when I saw. <laughs> How old were you for real? Like you got a call to sack? Uh, early twenty. I don't, I don't know what it looks like now. I don't know if it's a call to sack. I assume I think so, it's probably. You kind of shave around from the backside and the. Uh, no, I nope. shaved the whole head. Like, it still comes in in the middle. It just, huh. it's not as thick in the middle. Will you grow it out mm-hmm. so we can see No, absolutely like. not. I'm not going to grow <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to grow curious. it out for your entertainment. Why? It's so fine. I'm not a circus freak here. I just... <laughs> <laughs> You're our circus freak. No. Uh, I, oh, we love you. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't think I could pull it off. Because I have a weird shaped head. I have like a very noticeable indent in the middle of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm worried if if and when the hair starts to go. And I also oh, can't wow, grow man. facial hair. So I'm going to look like Howie oh, Mandel with an indent. And I don't think that's going to work. I don't think that's going to work in my favor. You got to do mm-hmm. the facial hair. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't. You look like a cue ball. Yeah. I don't want to be Mr. Clean. I can't. I can't pull it off. You have great eyebrows, though. Me? So, like, if you were complete, yeah. So, if you were completely no, bald, and then you have, either, you no. have like, and then then there'd be animated eyebrows. Like, it would be good. I think oh, it would look well, really the thick good. Eyebrows make they stand out even more when there's no facial hair or ha- head hair. It's <laughs> all you see is like thick it's eyebrows. Just too much, exactly. guys. Yeah, I would need I would need color. cool glasses to pull it off, like bold, yeah. colorful oh, glasses. Yeah. That's the only way I could offset. Not like having from up. the facial hair. Big square ones. This would be yeah. good. All right. Are you yeah. okay with being bald? Most men will lose at least some of their hair. And yeah, it can be a little embarrassing at first. Doesn't it seem a little harsh to kill someone over a crown? You don't understand. My crown is a symbol of my king-like authority. And uh, between you and me, my hair is thinning a bit. Oh, your highness. I'm sure it's not that noticeable. Bald! Bald! Oh, 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 all right, all right. 
My eyes. <laughs> my eyes. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. It's okay to be bald. Uh, although I did, like, shave a lid for a kid once, and boy, oh, boy, did having hair and then not having hair ever change the perception of the size of my nose? I mean, I don't mm. have a small nose at all. And then you take away the hair, and boy, that's a lot of nose on that head. Oh, man. <sighs> that's why I don't understand, BK. Like, you got, like, a round head. You got, like, you know, it all fits for you. It does yeah. Work really it well. fits out. That worked out pretty good. Um for me as far as i think the genetics i don't know they say it comes from your mother's side but it was my Mm -hmm. father my father was bald my mother had hair so i don't know oh yeah see my mom's my mom's brother has no hair yeah see yeah interesting well is it okay though to say hey you're bald stuff like that hey have you seen brendan he's bald that would be a describing attribute of me i would be like he's got blue eyes too like <laughs> eyes up here. Bald and um, eyes. Yeah, and like you know, like what does he look like? Well, he's, he's tall and lean and fit and bald. Apparently, according to a UK employment tribunal, the answer is no, you can't call someone bald. It's a thing. Calling a man bald can now be classed as sexual harassment. Okay. Uh, well, I, don't, I don't know about that. I mean, I guess it would depend on how the tone, like the if you were like, he's yeah. bald versus he's bald. Like, also, uh, very weird. It yeah. sounded a lot like Ryan's sexy yeah. voice right there. If someone described me as bald <laughs> in Ryan's sexy voice, then maybe I could see. That would be a, yeah, that would be a song. Yeah. yeah. Well, since we that brought would... it up, I think, Ryan, it would be safe for you to maybe say like, hey, you're bald in your sexy voice or something. Like that. <gasps> I, don't, I, don't I really I don't, don't want to. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Everyone's here. They're listening. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey, you're bald. <laughs> I can't. It's just that it does not it does not no. work. It does no, not right. work. I'm sorry. Work. I can't right. get into character. <laughs> Three oh. minutes. Three members of the tribunal who uh, decided on the ruling and alluded to their own experience of hair loss said that baldness was more prevalent in men than women. Therefore, they argued that use of the word bald is an insult related to a protected characteristic of sex. The tribunal compared calling a man bald to commenting on the size of a woman's breasts based on a 1995 case. How is that the same? It's not. It's and I get like insulting someone like you bald blank. That like that's just mean. That's just mean in general. But I feel like there's a pretty strong disconnect here. I don't. I don't know oh. who was asking for this. How would they be described? Like if they had to be described as like go meet that gentleman over there with the blue eyes and the lacking of hair. Like, or, you know, or to... Like, it's okay to say the guy with black hair, the guy with brown hair, the guy with blonde hair, right? Yeah. Like, uh, excuse me, Brendan, could you you cover up your balds for me? Okay. See, like, that would be... I'd question that if you said that to me. It's questionable. Right? But, yeah, to describe... No, I see it as a descriptor. Well, I'd like to apologize because I did say that your baldness was particularly round earlier and, and perfect, and I didn't want you to feel uncomfortable if that's the case. Uh, not any more uncomfortable than I usually am here. 
<laughs> Not any more uncomfortable than we are when Ryan uses his sexy voice. Yeah. <laughs> no, I see. Do you want to try again? Uh, no. <laughs> All right. Are you okay with... Are you okay with homemade stuff? Mm. I like homemade stuff. It's always got homemade a little extra. Yeah. I mean, there's times it's when you need, vibe. like, the professional, right? But I, exactly. I like it when, you know, someone's making some stuff at home, like a coat rack or, you know, little things around the house. I think it's good. Pencil holder. Laura makes really good uh, jewelry trays and, like, uh, just out of clay and paints them. Love that really? stuff. I've got mine. Like, that's how I stop losing my ring literally every day. So like that stuff's great, but homemade wine, which I had one time, is not okay. I don't understand why anybody's like, I'm going to make some wine. No, you're not. You're going to make a mistake. <laughs> like, go get proper wow. wine. You didn't live near Niagara on the lake where everybody, everybody. makes everybody. homemade wine and some of it was quite good. Really? Oh, not in my... Well, this is probably because it was my grandpa's homemade wine and my grandpa is from Debden, Saskatchewan. Not exactly known for its wine, its vineyards. So maybe, maybe it that's was why. just a maybe it was just Pilsner, and he didn't tell you. He just yeah. tried to keep it all yeah, up. Probably that actually sounds a lot like my grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> a U.S. woman is hoping to uh, relieve the breast milk shortage with a homemade solution. If you haven't heard, down in the United States, there is a shortage of formula. And everything for the babies. They say it's not yeah. going to affect Canada, but down in the States, it is bad. You cannot find formula. And Alyssa Chitty has three freezers full of her own breast milk. <sighs> Does beg the question why. And she wants to share all of this breast milk with the mothers who need it. And I figure I'm running out of room, so might as well help someone else. <laughs> Alyssa Chitty has three freezers full of breast milk. I know I have over 3,000 ounces. 3,000 ounces downstairs and probably almost 1,000 upstairs. At first, she wanted to donate it all to a local milk bank, but decided it was much easier to list it online. I have looked into it and I was working with a group, but um, my daughter has SMA and we've been in and out of primaries. And so it's just been hard to go do the blood work and go do all the other stuff and that's the only thing that stopped me from doing that part mountain west mother's milk bank says they would need more than 300 donors to be able to meet the needs in the community during this donor shortage they've gotten down to 175 even if hundreds of moms were to step up and volunteer to donate today it would still take months for the bank to meet the demand okay uh, it takes four to six weeks to get approved to donate milk in the United States and about three months until the breast milk can get into hospitals. In Canada, Health Canada classifies breast milk as food, meaning it's legal to sell if certain guidelines are followed. <laughs> no way. Individual Canadian moms can and do sell breast milk online. I had no idea. Chitty was hoping to sell her breast milk at $1 an ounce, and she's willing to negotiate with moms because she understands what they're going through. Huh. I was I was reading into why there's a shortage and it, and it's it's you know it's all kind of related back to COVID and supply chains. But this this stat surprised me. In the United States, there's a full monopoly on form baby formula with Abbott Laboratories, Reckitt, uh, ben, Benkisser, and Nestle have 95 percent of the market. Three companies, 
And so when they can't produce enough, the whole market basically just stops. So that's why this is happening. That's insane. That's crazy. Uh, that's fascinating. I think this is absolutely fascinating. I think that the um, it, it's cool to to know that in Canada they've kind of you know loosened the bolts a little bit, as long as it's responsible and healthy and all that stuff. But I, she has how many thousands of ounces? She said like three thousand. So, but why is she keeping it? Well, she can. She can sell it. She can sell it. Well, I think she well. Uh, she just saw the need out there in her community that she need like people needed the her needed breast milk, so she just kept it and is is trying to sell it or donate it. So I think she tried to donate it, but she couldn't do that. So she's just going <laughs> like on the Facebook marketplace. I I don't know where you exactly. go to find it. I appreciate yeah. the kindness of it, but three Amazing. freezers full. That seems like. I no, I mean like that's that's a lot. That's a lot. Like, that would take a long a time. Like I, how long are you staying? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I did I miss the part where she still has a baby? That's a baby maybe. Or is, you know. I think I her know. daughter, I think her daughter was off the formula at that point. Mm-hmm. But she saved a bunch. I think she saved a bunch throughout while she was raising her daughter when she was still breastfeeding. She just had like le- leftovers. That's it's great. Well, that's it's what it is, right? It's like <laughs> it's leftovers. I, I, it's yeah. fascinating. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. I just, I mean, this this one person seems to have an awful lot. Maybe. I think it's fantastic that you could rely on another mom to help you out. That's cool. Maybe she's like a doomsday prepper. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Saving up. Three freezers full, though. That's worth looking into. Fascinating. You moms, man. Moms are amazing. The human body's amazing. Let's just call it for what it is. Are you okay with engagement rings? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't think I'm going to have to buy one. I'm pretty sure I get to use my grandma's engagement ring, which is pretty nice. It's beautiful. Um, but, uh, the idea of like, you know, uh, holding your salary for like six weeks worth of salary to buy a ring that then you then just change to a wedding ring, which is the other ring. That's where it loses me. So that's where I like the hand-me-down ideas. And then mm. you buy the wedding ring. Of of all the things you, of all people, yeah, don't want to spend money on. Yeah. It's frugal with love. If you can believe that. Mm. Frugal with love. See, I would go well, all out. The, uh, Based on the uh, the markets these days, your sneaker market is probably increasing faster than the price of gold. So that's probably a thing. Yeah, um, honestly. Picking the right ring is very important for any couple. Uh, but before you can pop the question, you have to get that ring on your significant other's finger. You know, you got to steal it. You got to get the ring size. You got to pay attention to these things. You got to smuggle the ring to wherever you're going. That was a big obstacle for one couple in Tennessee last week. Myers Hart and his high school sweetheart, Brooklyn Stevens, were driving a rental car Monday afternoon when they heard a loud pop, a very loud pop, 
Firefighters in Williamson County did rush to the report of a burning vehicle on the side of the road, fully engulfed. Now, the vehicle itself could not be saved. You see it right there as the owner and girlfriend watched it burn. But firefighters did make one important save. You see that charred box right there? This is an engagement ring the driver had secretly bought for his girlfriend, and somehow it survived the fire. There the two of them stand on the side of the road. The driver took it as a sign since the ring survived that, you know what, let's just do this right now. And so he asked for his girlfriend's hand in marriage right there, safely, on the shoulder of the road. This after firefighters pulled that ring from the burning car. Everything else inside it lost, but the ring survived. I The perspective they've taken is really great. Um, also might have been a sign not to do it. Just saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> could have gone one of two ways. That's if you're going to put meaning point. on it, it could go either way. Firefighters told yeah. News 4, we started sifting through all the ashes and everything, and it was melted against the seat. It actually had perfectly encased in the ring box, and I opened it up and looked in a brand new, and so it was really a miracle. Hart took that as a sign to propose to Stevens in the midst of the unlikely scene. He gets on one knee, and I'm like, Here? And I started crying. I said, here right now, like the car just caught on fire. Are you serious? I mean, yes, yes, of course I want to, but like the car. And he was like, I know, said Stevens, the end. It's almost Beautiful. Shakespearean. Yeah, it was like, yeah snap, like we snap, there. snap. Oh, snaps. Yeah. I get poetry. That's what snap. that was, a little poetry. Oh, get my bongos. Wow, hey. It's a beat That's poetry. amazing. Uh, I learned a lot here on Are You Okay Today. I learned that, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, like this text that comes in about Shane throughout history. There's always been nursemaids providing milk in the royal courts, all those other things, right? I know, I knew that it happened. I knew there was donating and all those things. I just didn't know somebody had three freezers full. I learned that. I learned when we talk about breast milk, the look on Brandon Kelly's face is really kind of funny on our Zoom call. (laughs) (laughs) I I know I got to be very careful uh, when I talk about Brandon Kelly's head now can't describe me to the listeners no No. you can say i have blue eyes but you can't describe anything above the eyes i can say you have i'm not allowed to say you're bald i can say there's plenty of you just said it (laughs) (laughs) brendan kelly he's got blue eyes and a forehead that goes all the way around to his back (laughs) there past the nailed it nailed it This is the Shift Podcast. Our guest that we have right now is the author of 160 Minutes, The Race to Save the RMS Titanic, and some shameless promo for William Hazelgrove. Um, you can get it everywhere, uh, including Amazon and all your favorite spots. Get the book, learn more about it, and check our podcasts for that conversation about the Titanic. But there was one little piece of the puzzle that got all the radio guys curious is when the author got totally nerdy and excited about all the radio things. William, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming back. I really appreciate it, man. How you been? Things are good? Yeah, no, great. Just uh yeah, busy writing, promoting, you know, speeches, you know, the, you know the drill. All the drill, all the things that an author does. This is cool. Yeah. Um, you have some stories about the radio operators. When we had some conversation a few weeks ago, William, we talked about the Titanic. You shared with us that, you know, there was a lot of opportunity to save the Titanic. There was captains and all kinds of people that said, nay, nay, we're not going there. It could have been a completely different outcome. 
Um, maybe just a quick summary of that part, because then we'll get into some of the radio operators, because I think we need to acknowledge some of their work. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, uh, the California and the Mount Temple, two ships uh, within ten, one within five miles, one within ten miles. Uh, both captains, Captain Lord, Captain Moore, decided not to go into the ice field, even though uh, the California was so close, people literally could see the lights of the ship. And Captain Smith of the Titanic said, "See that ship? See that ship? Row toward that light." He'll pick you up. That's how close it was. And this is in lots of books, lots of accounts, all these people who, who saw the light of the California. I mean, so, so literally the whole premise of Titanic, which is one of doom, a great Greek tragedy, is it, totally not true. They were literally surrounded by ships of varying distances. And these two ships were literally within visual sight. You know, again, on the Mount Temple, passengers came up in the middle of the night to get a breath of air. What do they see? A ship sinking, shooting off rockets. And it's a Titanic. And the crew says, let's go in. Captain Moore says, no. Wow. And uh, and there, there's more to be had around that. You have some other anecdotes to share with us, though, about the radio operators. This is the cool stuff, because the radio at the time was super, it was like the NFT of the time that everybody was excited about and except they weren't spending 141 millions on one little radio piece. But, um, that's really what it was. If we compare it to today, it was 5g. It was, you know, broadband gigabit internet. I mean, that was what radio was back then. Help us understand how fledgling and important it was. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Jack Phillips, Harold Bright are the two wireless operators, 20 somethings. And, and this was the internet other time. This was, this, this was the PC of the eighties. And, and so, so most people didn't even understand this technology. And so here's the Titanic, which has this, the most powerful set, and it could shoot 500 miles during the day. But at night, it would bounce off the ionosphere and go 2,000 miles. So somebody in the middle of the Atlantic could, could you know, send a telegram, a wireless telegram, to New York, and, and somebody would pick it up. Conversely, when Titanic got into trouble and they started just, you sing out the CQD, come quick distress, over and over and over. You know, four boys in New Jersey who get together, you know, every night to sort of listen in and see what they can pick up. They pick up the signal. Um, you know, uh, a gentleman on top of Wanamaker's department store sitting, you know, just the night shift, basically, as you are, um, listening in, picks up the signals and runs and tells a little unknown paper called the New York Times. I mean, so so this technology, which which was so powerful was totally understood. It was seen as a gadget of the rich. And this is also one reason why the 10 ice warnings weren't acted on on Titanic. Because Captain Smith was a 30-year man who said, you know what, I know the North Atlantic. I don't need 220-somethings who don't even work for White Star, work for Marconi, to tell me where the icebergs are. And so he went steaming right into those icebergs. Wow, wow. So so what you're saying is that these people had already, because of the radio technology at the time, the Titanic heard everybody saying, hey, um, by the way, you don't want to go there, and they decided to continue. Oh, absolutely. The standard protocol, believe it or not, was for these ships to go full speed into these ice ships. Now, Bruce Ismay, the director of the line, he was on board, and he did say to Captain Smith, you know, let's set a record. So Smith has 24 boilers fired up. And, yes, the ice warnings are coming up from the two wireless operators. And, you know, a couple of them get posted. One of them ends up famously in Smith's pocket. And, and Bruce Ismay pulls it out at dinner and says, look at this technology we have. Yet, 
they didn't act on it. Why? Because again, this was this. These were guys who were the equivalent of computer nerds to the to Smith and others. You know, this technology was something so rich people could send some telegram off to New York and and say, I'll meet you for lunch. It wasn't viewed as a critical piece of safety equipment, something that could save their lives. That's amazing. It's uh, God, vanity and ego is a beast, eh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's what it was. Truly. Yeah. That's truly what it was. Okay. So you said 2000 miles. I want to create some context for everybody. You're in Chicago, right? Right. Okay. So um, if you were to drive from Calgary to Toronto, it's actually within about 40 kilometers of 2,000 miles. So that's how far driving. And if you are flying as the crow flies within 100 kilometers, it's Vancouver to Toronto that you could send a radio message. That's wild. Yeah. Oh, right. Exactly. And they didn't understand. When Marconi uh, put these, you know, sets on ships, they, they said, you know, this will never work because the Earth is curved. It'll bounce off into space. They didn't understand that it would go up and bounce off the ionosphere and then bounce back down. You know, they had these shore stations, which were like, you know, these sort of just isolated shore stations that would pick up the signals. But they would also shoot back signals to Titanic that Titanic would take and download and then they had big printing presses and they printed their own newspaper for the, you know, the 1% to have with their croissant and coffee, which again was unheard of to be able to say, read about, you know, Chicago Cubs in the middle of the Atlantic while having your coffee. So you're right. I mean, this, this was unheard of these. And that's why also you had these strange, you know, I found all these strange instances where, you know, People were picking up these signals in the middle of the night. This is first real-time tragedy. And saying, Titanic sinking. And they just couldn't believe it because there was no central authority picking up all this information. It was just sort of like guys with shortwave radios today, right? They just, people spattered all up and down the East Coast picking up the signals as, as it was sinking. Wow. Uh, so that would also mean that nobody was controlling the message either. That would also mean that in New York City, they were hearing that the Titanic is sinking, and that would have made the print, it would have made the uh, the all the news, you know. Uh, right. You exactly. All the headlines, like, before yeah. they even got a proper message saying, hey, by the way, which might have taken it, after the boat doesn't show up on time, then they probably say, oh, by the way, um, but they couldn't even control anything. This would almost be the first, uh, I don't know, viral, if you will. I'm just trying to create uh, some looking yeah, from today, yeah. but the first viral yeah. message, really. Absolutely. And like a viral message, it had lots of disinformation. The first messages came in, said Titanic was fine, that everybody had been saved and they were getting towed to Newfoundland. And they actually chartered a train. White Star chartered a train for the relatives to go to Newfoundland that had to be reversed and come back when they found out that went true. Oh, the New no. York, yeah, well, the New York Times did not know Titanic was sinking. But the editor, he took a chance. He said, you know, I'm either going to lose my job or I'm going to be a hero. All the other newspapers said, everybody's been saved. They're fine. This guy took a chance and said, no, there's been incredible loss of life and Titanic sunk. And he didn't know, but he was from what he was hearing. That's where he went, and he turned out to be right. And that's one of the things that made the New York Times the New York Times. Huh. Wow, 
That's just so remarkable to think. And, you know, they had all of the thing, all the, the tools there. It's kind of like the lifeboat conversation, right? They had all kinds of lifeboats, but they just right. didn't fill them, right? It's kind of the same right. sort of storyline. It's, it's repeating. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, what's incredible is most people don't know is, okay, they had the lifeboats where 20 of them, 1175 could have been put into lifeboats. Only 700 are mostly first class. And, and so they don't even, you know, they've got all this room. And so the 1500 people are in, in the water drowning. And, you know, one, but you know, some people say, let's go back and save them. And people go, you want to die too? We'll get swamped. And so the dark, dark secret, the shameful secret of Titanic is that only one boat went back and it was too late. It was too late. You know, everybody had already frozen to death. So it's a really sort of, you know, we, this was sort of pushed down in their Titanic mythology, you know, because they want to show, sort of show it as a lot of moments of heroism. But in factual fact, there was a lot of human failing that night. Uh, there's so many of these sort of peripheral stories that you have. I, ca- I kind of just want to ask you, William, um, you, you've written the book 160 Minutes, The Race to Save the RMS Titanic. I guess I just kind of want to give you the table. And, you know, what do we not know about these radio messages? What do we not know about the Titanic that we haven't talked about that, that people really, it might change your lens a little bit. Is there, is there, there's got to be some nuggets. Oh, yeah. Well, here's another one. Okay, so Jack Phillips, one of the radio operators, dies. Harold Harold Bride, the junior operator, he survives. So on the Carpathia, the the operator on the Carpathia keels over from exhaustion. And and Bride is just, you know, he has frostbite, he's exhausted, and they say, look, can you take over? The only one who can take over. So he takes over. The first message he gets is from Guglielmo Marconi, who says, don't talk to anybody. Don't talk to anybody. I've arranged for you to talk to the New York Times for $1,000, but you can't tell anybody. So he he basically puts a gag order on. The president and everybody else is calling the Carpathia saying, what happened, what happened? Nobody can find out. This is why all this disinformation went everywhere. Because in the mythology of today even developed, because there was no information being given under Marconi's orders. So this is where my book opens up. My book opens up when Carpathia docks. Marconi goes onto the ship, right to the wireless room, and picks up Harold Bride, has him carried off. There's a famous photo of him being carried off the ship, put into a car to the Strand Hotel, where he sits down with three New York Times reporters and tells the story of the Titanic. And that's what goes all around the world, and that's the story we know today. It's amazing to think that someone was capitalizing on that back then we haven't come very far as a society have we william no we haven't oh no 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 well exactly you know you have heroes and you have people that we have you know captain rostrum of the carpathia who did come full speed who did go into the ice field who did rescue the 700 people you know who got the congressional medal of honor got the medal of honors from the british who had a stellar career you know he's held up as this hero you know, is the way we hope we would all act. And, you know, so so, so it's, it's really a, a night of, you know, heroes and cowards, really. I mean, the yeah. people who did not come to the rescue, there's just no other word for it because it was straight-up cowardice not to go into those ice fields. You know the movie Saving Private Ryan? Sure. I, I feel like it's a lot like that when that the storyline of, of the teacher who, you know, uh, you know, gives his life as the captain of that crew. They go and find right. the brother, and then it's you don't realize it's the story of the brother, but he's living with the survivor's guilt 
of all along, right? And so it makes you wonder about all sides. It makes you wonder about those captains who carry the burden of that guilt for not going, right? Right. And it also makes you wonder about all the people that were in those lifeboats, right? And then it makes you wonder about the radio operators who 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 tried so hard to let people know, but nobody would listen. Like there, there's so many storylines here that would be so interesting to see in in sort of an animated uh, fiction oh. form. Uh, oh yeah, well you know Captain Smith came to the operators at two a.m. Okay, the ship's at a forty five degree angle, water's coming to the wireless room, and he says, "You've done your duty. It's every man for himself. I release you." Yet the two operators, Phillips and Bride, stay at their posts. Why? Because there's still some power in the dynamos. The, the current's fading, sort of like a, a light on a rural circuit where it's kind of dim. But, but it's enough to send out, so they keep sending all the way up to the end at 220 when Titanic goes down, and they're literally washed off the boat by the wave that engulfs the Titanic. Hmm. That's fascinating. 25 and 22 years old. What were you doing when you were 22, William? Were you doing anything of that magnitude? I was in college. <laughs> Yeah, right. At I was a bar. the eternal college guy, you know. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. I was DJing at a bar somewhere, and then you look at oh. these these young men doing this. It's wild. Yeah, yeah. And this was a great job too, by the way. This was cutting edge technology. You know, it was it was this thing where you know people could go and travel the world, and and you know they were low paid, but but they really managed to you know see the world, be on the edge of this great technology. And, and really live a great adventure. That's so cool. Uh, the book is 160 minutes. The race to save the RMS Titanic. Your excitement is contagious, William. I love it. I, I mean, I could have this exact same conversation over and over again. It's so fascinating. And I still believe we probably only barely scratched the surface. I mean. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're going to rooftops. I mean, there's just there's just so many, so many stories embedded in, in this night that, that it's incredible that impact us today. You know, yeah. it, you know, e- even when you get on a cruise ship today, the Titanic legacy is right there. Yeah. And I can't help but think, I didn't know the story about the train. Can you imagine your family's on the train and uh, you're, you're, you know, you're waiting for someone. You're like, everyone survived. You're going here. And all of a sudden they hit the brakes. They're like, yeah, we're going home. And what a feeling of panic. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. today we can we can Google and and mark that we're safe on Facebook, but these people have to sit and wait now for days for more, and then the gossip would just be rampant. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and I saw the telegrams uh, when I was doing my research that they did manage to send out for some people, and it was just uh, really really heartbreaking because it'd be like uh, mom survived, dad didn't, uh, Joe survived, you know, Sarah didn't, you know, it's like just little because they were just little quips that were being sent from Carpathia about who survived, who didn't. So these people are getting just barely bits of information. And that's again, why there was just so much disinformation in the beginning. Well, if they can transmit, you know, the basics of a newspaper, so you could read the newspaper in the middle of the Atlantic like that, how fascinating would it be to uh, hear all of the reports coming back from the ship back to mainland of who who was saved and the nonstop flow of info and trying to parse all that info and put it back together again? Just it's it's fascinating those people what they went through. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you hear the actual transmissions, because I've I've heard recordings of them, and it just sounds to you and me, it's just lots of buzzing, lots of buzzing. Really? It's amazing that that can be deciphered into Morse code. I love it. Thank you so much for being here, William. Appreciate it.
No, thanks for having me. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time to uh, pick the brain because Ryan has a picture that he's going to post on Facebook, he promised, at shiftheads.ca of a new purchase. Just so you know, he sold some other things to get there. That makes him taller. Let's hit it. The millennial on the radio, it's Ryan O'Donnell. Oh, my friends. My friends, do I have a story for you. Oh, at an amazing time this weekend at a local sneaker show, the YYC Soldiers event. It's the first one since the pandemic started. It's been three years since they had a full event. And it was also their 10th anniversary. It was a uh, little mini convention of people bringing in their sneakers to buy and sell. I have some observations. It was an interesting look at the culture and all that fun stuff. And uh, yeah, I've got some pretty great news. You know, like sneakers, I could identify. <laughs> Converse, Adidas, I know all that stuff. I know sneakers. I know sneakers pretty well by now, my friends. And uh, this event was a great way to kind of test my knowledge. Put on my favorite outfit, go with my buddy who's also a giant sneakerhead, and go in to absorb the culture. This is the exact same experience as going to a comic expo, a Star Trek convention, a Star Wars fan meetup, or you, you like fishing? A bunch of fishing enthusiasts gather together to check out their equipment. I don't know. This is that kind of event. So uh, I was trying really hard to avoid a euphemism there. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, uh, this was an interesting event for me. Uh, getting to walk around and, you know, seeing people happy. They're carrying great sneakers. Uh, and I think there's some pros and cons. Uh, there were people who had 20 pairs of brand new shoes that if you got them for retail would cost you 200 bucks. And they're reselling them for 600 700 so you can tell that these people use bots. They use uh, ways that are make it unfair for the common consumer to get the goods they want. But they are selling it, and the business was friendly. People were honest and nice. And then as I'm making my way across the floor, I'm trying to see if there's anything that piques my interest. I brought a couple pairs with me to sell, trade, but nothing was really catching my eye. I was a little surprised there wasn't any crazy pieces until something really caught my eye. Do you remember the wavy baby shoes? The shoes that caused a lawsuit because they looked like Vans except wavy? We talked about them on the show a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago. And uh, the response was excellent. I posted a picture of them on the Facebook, uh, the Shift Facebook page, and you guys loved them. Like, way more than I thought they were going to be. Yeah. It was a fun shoe that people, I think, understood why it was interesting, why it was fun. It's a classic sneaker. Imagine it being platformed, so a big, chunky, thick sole, but there's cuts out to make it look like a wave. And uh, I definitely did not describe that wave with a weird sound when we did the bit as well. Oh, yeah. Just didn't do that. That was embarrassing. No, wait, no, no that wasn't what happened. What, what happened was is that you when you told it you did like a I thing. have no memory remember of this. That? No, memory. no memory. No memory. No memory. That's how I remembered the shoe. Do you PK? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I we actually do have some some audio here. Oh yeah, do, right. 
We have some evidence of this? Yeah. They record this stuff? Yeah, you, you want to hear? Yeah, I swear he did it. Here it is. It's like you added like a woo sound effect to your shoe. That's the best way I can well, describe it. What sound effect it. was that yeah, for can me? Can you do that again? Woo. Okay. <laughs> All yeah, right. See? So I suppose I did he describe did the shoe with he a woo sound. I was weird better last time. Ooh. That was lackluster at best. Yeah, there it is. That, that, oh, was, that okay. was better. Than well, I can tell you, my friends, I saw a pair in person. Somebody had them there at this show. And not only were they there, they were in my size. I couldn't believe it. I picked it up. They were my size. Uh, they weigh like three pounds each, chunky, and they're as incredible in person as they are online. So, of course, I had to have them. I ran around the floor trying to sell every pair of shoe I bought. I needed to buy these. I even got called up on stage at one point to try to win a pair of free shoes, which I was hoping to trade for them. Unfortunately, when I got up there, I found out it was a push-up contest. I don't know if you've ever done push-ups in front of like 300 people before. It's not. It's a little embarrassing. And also, I'm very bad at those. I am still sore from the push-ups. And I lost to a guy who called himself Young Tabasco. That's what he said his name was when he was wow. asked on the microphone. So a little embarrassing. I was a little worried. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, though, the wavy baby shoes were in my grasp. I managed to sell all my shoes. I ran over to the booth of the guys that had them. Could not believe that I wanted them. Like, you want to buy these? Yes. Do you have a box to put them in? <laughs> Even no. the guys who owned yep. them and were selling them couldn't yep. believe you wanted yes. to buy, you yes. want to buy these. Well, the biggest thing, oh. well, well, the biggest thing was, do you want to wear them? I went, yeah, absolutely. I'll wear them out of here. I need to have these. And sure, I think that's, they could tell how badly I wanted to wear them. And they made it, we made a great deal on them. Uh, took a picture of me holding them. And yes, I do now own the illegal sneaker that is the wavy baby shoe. Now, a quick reminder of the, the ridiculous lawsuit. Essentially, this shoe, without the woo and all that, is... Oh, that's better. Uh, that was pretty good, eh? This shoe, is a, it looks a lot like a Vans old school sneaker, like a shoe that almost anybody would have or have come into contact with, at least. And now, Mischief, the company that made them, I would say did a pretty good job of making them look unique, not like Vance. Vance says no. The judge sided with them in the lawsuit and basically said, you cannot sell these anymore. Well, apparently Mischief has still been selling them. His pairs are still sleep, uh, uh, you know, skipping through. And this whole lawsuit is continuing. But regardless, I have them. I've posted a picture now on the Shifthead Facebook page. Walking in them is bizarre. It is weird. They are surprisingly comfortable. They have better arch support than a normal pair of Vans. But most importantly, they make me two inches taller. They make me taller enough that I can now open all the cabinets in my kitchen. And Laura finds it uncomfortable to hug me when I'm wearing them because it's not it's a weird height distribution now. So I think there's a lot of pros and cons to these. And uh, oh, my goodness, they're so much fun to wear. I, I, I really hope that I get to, if you're listening and you want to see them, I hope I get to show you in person someday because they are a trip, my friends. Wear them around your house. I want to hear the story of what it's like to look in the mirror and brush your teeth when you're two inches taller. Ugh, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if it's TMI, I want to know what it's like when you stand there and use the bathroom. Uh, there's a lot of extra gravity there, right? A lot. And so... So I uh, I want I want to know these things. I want to know what it's like when Ryan O'Donnell, the not very tall fella, um, gets no. to be taller. 
I, wanna... I liked it a lot. <laughs> I liked it did it, it a feel lot. good, didn't it? Right? Yeah, it felt amazing. I was like, damn, this is anything, fantastic. Anything with a counter, right? Like you need to make your supper like on the stove and do the dishes or whatever with the shoes on. You got to do all these things with the shoes on. And uh, I don't know how you yeah. didn't trip and fall. I'll try not to snap the bamboo flooring because these shoes up hair weigh like two to three pounds. Did you get the price that you wanted for the shoes that you took? Mm -hmm. Yep. I would say, oh, I got the price I expected to pay. I got a pretty good deal. And the price already has gone up $80 since when I bought them on Saturday. So oh, I think like there was now is the time. Yep. Now okay, but what the about time. the ones you sold? Because you were in a hurry. Did you sell them quick at a discount, or did you? I sold I the two uh, two of the pairs I sold at the price I was hoping to sell them at, and one pair I sold at a discount just because I wanted did to make sure I got them. Randomly walk up to people or hold your shoes in the yeah. air and go. Free? Literally, you walk around shoes? with them on the box. You literally that's how you do it. And then there's booths, but you walk them around and you just basically throw it at people, and they'll do it. Really, they just walk oh, yeah. around. Like, can you tell me? Uh, you don't have to get into the finance part. Like one pair of shoes that you sold, what were they? What did they sell for? I purchased them for one thirty, and I sold them for one ninety five to a vendor. So some dude literally had one hundred ninety five dollars in his pocket, gave you the money. Uh, a friend of mine made twelve hundred dollars on Saturday. He sold just three cash, pairs like of shoes and made yep got twelve hundred dollars cash. That's wild. That just shows how much money there is in this industry, my friends. It is unbelievable. It's amazing that people are willing to spend money like that on stuff like that. That's crazy. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.